0: Well, good morning. We are uh, winding down the series, uh, Better. And uh, if you uh, are kind of plugging in or watching online or whatever, we've been dealing with the whole book in the New Testament of Hebrews. And the writer has told us over and over, Jesus is better. And so today I want to kind of look at Hebrews chapter 10 and 11 And I want you to think about this idea of going all in by giving all up. One of the things that the the writer has said to us again and again is that you can't have it both ways. You can't hold on to the the way you used to do things and still do things the way that God has laid it out in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't hold on to the idea that you've got to earn something or, or sacrifice something or do something or achieve something... That he did it all, and and so he kind of continues that theme uh, this morning. So hang on to this idea: when we begin to follow Jesus, we stop following other ways of worship and sacrifice and everything else, and we start following Him. Faith means that we don't always understand it; we don't we can't always map it out. But as Romans eight says to us, God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I want to tell you three stories. About a century ago, there was a group of people that were called one-way missionaries. And they were called that because instead of packing all of their meager belongings in a suitcase in order to go to their overseas assignments... They simply packed their coffins, and they did that as a, as a sign that there was no going back, that they, they weren't going to uh, return, that, that God has sent them on an assignment, and that that assignment was was to the end. Uh, you may remember the story of Cortez burning his ships, or, or Alexander the Great burning his ships, that, that it was a symbol that we were committed one of these one-way missionaries was a guy named A.W. Milne, A.W. Milne, and his ministry was to be to the uh, tribal people called the New Hebrides. And uh, he knew when he packed his coffin to go that this tribal group had martyred every single missionary that had ever gone there. And so he might be using his sooner than later. Well, Thirty-five years later, he died, and he was still in the same village. And when he died, they buried him right in the center of the village, and they erected at a sign that said, When he came here, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. He was all in, all in. Last Wednesday at a small Christian college in Asbury, called Asbury, in Wilmore, Kentucky, there were a group of students who decided they didn't want to leave chapel in order to go to class. Now, that in itself is not unusual. But this group of students felt an, a, a divine call to remain in prayer, to remain in a spirit. They, they had sensed God's presence there. And they, they decided they would just stay. And then someone stepped up to the stage and began to confess sin. And then somebody began to uh, get something right between them and another person. And then there was uh, weeping and there was praise and there was a little bit of music. Entirely student-led. The adults didn't get involved in it at all except, I don't know what, keep the lights on. It's still going on and has spread to other campuses, uh, Birmingham, Sanford University, uh, University of Kentucky. People from all over the world have, have, have descended on Wilmore, Kentucky because they so desperately want a word from God. January twenty fifth, 1961, small group of believers at the First Baptist Church of Dunwoody if you know Dunwoody it was kind of almost where Roberts Road and Shambly Dunwoody come back come together there was the first Baptist Church of Dunwoody. There were a lot of signs that things were changing in Metro Atlanta and some of the church leaders led by a young architectural student from Georgia Tech became aware that maybe they weren't set up to reach the people who were going to be coming. Rumor had it a highway was being built all the way around Atlanta. And then it was going to come within two miles of Dunwoody. So, this courageous group of people, 1961, voted that Sunday morning that they would not be a church anymore. They voted to close their doors. They ended the service. They prayed, they sang, they wept. And then they closed and locked the door for good. Then about 200 of them walked up the street to the place that is now the Dunwoody Public Library. It was then the Dunwoody Elementary School. And they established the Dunwoody Baptist Chapel under uh, the mission coverage of another church. And that eventually became the Dunwoody Baptist Church, and here we are. Those three stories have something in common. All of the people were all in. They, they, they didn't say, well, uh, I'll, I'll see you guys in the holidays. They packed a coffin. They didn't say, uh, I'll be embarrassed if I get a, a picture that goes nationwide of me laying on my face in the aisle of a chapel in Wilmore, Kentucky. That might embarrass me. They didn't say, what if we don't succeed in a new place? What if we can't make it? What if we're not up to the task? They they, they were all in. They were all in. And, and, And that's what the writer of Hebrews has been telling us all along. You can't hold on to what you had, what you did, what you were, how you did it. Every part of that is obsolete. And in chapters 1 through 10, he's told us that, that Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the old priest. Jesus is better than the old sacrifices. And he's, he's kind of hammering it home to us. And, and I know that probably some of y'all are getting a little tired of it. Well, he summarizes it in the first part of Hebrews chapter 10, and then he changes gears. It's all about all in. So, first part of chapter 10, here's here's where he's trying to go. This ends a section that started in chapter 7, verse 1. And so, if you're uh, taking notes at home or whatever. There, there's a section of Scripture that ends here, uh, and and well, that actually ends in chapter 10, verse 18, and then it starts a, a whole nother section. And he starts off by saying, since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are offered year after year, make anybody perfect, my words. The law is just a shadow. You have any artists in here? Anybody kind of does drawing or whatever, painting? It is said that an artist, I am not one. I do know how to make one thing with origami, but that's as close as I can get. It is said that a real artist will Take charcoal or pencil or something and kind of sketch out on the canvas or the paper or, or whatever the, the blocking of the thing they want to draw. And maybe the vague shapes that look like a face or a tree or whatever, my finished works look like that. But, a, but an artist is, they, 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 they're not, before they put oil to it, before they put color to it, before they put depth to it, they kind of sketch out a, a drawing of what it is that they eventually want to paint. That's the same word here for shadow. Shadow. They paint a shadow of what will come, Uh, just an idea of what is to come. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that was what the law was. That's what all those rules were. That's what the judgment was. It was just a shadow. It it was God just, just blocking it out before he would do his masterpiece. Now, that's interesting, but what does that have to do with us The writer has over and over said, it's got to go away. And in his first part of chapter 10, he says, the law is inadequate. Verse 8, the repeated sacrifices are inadequate. Uh, Goes on down, uh, verse uh, 11, 12, the priests were inadequate. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered... For all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. The priests would offer sacrifice again and again. And he's saying, Listen, the law is inadequate. The sacrifices aren't enough. You can't slaughter enough goats to handle all the sin. Jesus died once and for all. A better law, a better, help a law written on hearts, Jeremiah said a better sacrifice once instead of over and over, a better priest. He, he gave us access to God. As a, uh, a matter of fact, he, he goes on to talk about that. This is my covenant, verse 16, I will make with them. Uh, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And here's like the the big finish of the section. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And so the, the writer is kind of catching us up. He's saying, listen, for nine chapters, I, I wanted you to know this, and now I'm, I'm kind of bringing it home. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm fixing to switch gears. I, I'm done telling you how a car works. You're about to drive it. And so in chapter 10, verse 19, he starts a whole new idea. And he starts it with the word, So. Or translated, therefore. Now that's a big so, or a big therefore, because it refers not just to a few verses before, but to the first nine and a half chapters. And so he says, on the basis of all that stuff, right, you you tried it your own way. You tried to earn it. You tried to achieve it. You tried to solve it. You tried to fix it. None of that worked. Better priest, better sacrifice, better law written on your hearts. So, and now he's going to start kind of telling us what to do with all this. And he's sort of, okay, let's get it out of the garage. Let's get it on the road. And he gives us a, a number of things, and he says, it's about faith. And well, Cain said it this way, faith is taking the first step, even when you can't see the whole staircase. I, I don't know, I don't really remember the first time I ever drove at night, but that whole thing of learning to trust that the, the headlights only show you 30 feet ahead while you're going 70 miles an hour, that. That's a mind-blowing thing here. Well, faith is that 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 someone else has gone before you on the road. Somebody else has prepared the way. Somebody else has, has made it possible. So even though your headlights only show you thirty feet ahead of you, and you're hurtling down the highway at at least a mile a minute, it's going to be okay. Faith is it's going to be okay. And so the the, the he introduces that concept. But he says, listen, since we have confidence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he says, here's four things to kind of set you up for success. Here's, here's kind of four things to act it out. And they're all in the imperative form. Anybody front row pass English? What's imperative? It's a command. This is, this is not a suggestion. And and the first one, he says, let us draw near. Okay, you you can't really keep that arm's length, the Heisman pose thing with Jesus, and and it's going to work out for you. You've got to draw near. You've got to come in close. Second command, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Okay, confession means agree. It doesn't mean reveal. It's, I, I have confessed my faith. He is faithful. He is righteous to forgive my sins. I have clung to that. So draw near, hold fast. Third command let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. So draw near, hold fast, encourage each other. Number four, go to church. My words. He says, verse 25, and there should be a, a let us in front of that. It's a continuation of the imperative. Let us not neglect, that's like triple negative. Let us not neglect meeting together, but encourage one another as you see the day draw near. So he says, here's, here's four ways to put all of that stuff about Jesus being better, here's four ways to put it to work. Draw near, hold fast encourage each other, come to church. Now, bless you if you're online. Appreciate you being with us. Appreciate you joining this community. But the the energy in the room is electric. And there is just something about when we come together, we're better. Maybe we come together with something on our mind, and somebody says something does something, prays for something, we see a verse, we hear a lyric, and all of a sudden we realize that it's God who has met with us. Maybe we just need somebody to encourage us. Maybe we need somebody to just say, how are you doing? What we know is that we need the word that we hear. We need the words that we sing. We need the, 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 the repeated actions that we do, the prayer, the Lord's Supper, baptism, the fellowship, the study. We need the conversations in the lobby. We need all of that on a weekly basis because we just are better when we're together. So the writer of Hebrews said, okay, based on the superiority of Christ, come in close, draw near, hold fast, don't don't, don't give up, encourage each other so they won't give up, and be together so that you all can draw strength. But then he says there's some qualifiers, draw near with sincere hearts. And then he uses sort of the language of of sacrifice. He said, your hearts are sprinkled clean. Your bodies are washed with pure water. Just put these things to action. And then a hard word in verse 26, because if you give up on all that, if you continue to say that the sacrifice that will save you is an Old Testament sacrifice, okay, there no longer remains a sacrifice for you. You have turned your back on the one thing that could actually save you, and that's what verse 26 is about. So, the writer is kind of changing gears here, but he's also telling us, hey, this is important. Our experience with God is more full, and he concludes the section with probably what was sort of a a, a saying in the the New Testament church, live by faith. You know, in a couple of weeks, uh, Easter, I will start off the sermon, He is risen. You will probably answer, He is risen indeed. The New Testament, they probably would have a similar saying, live by faith. We live by faith indeed. It was a, uh, a, this thing now has legs. This thing is now going somewhere. Faith is is a verb. It's not something that we, we possess. It's something that we do. How do we do that? We draw near. We hold fast. We encourage each other. We go to, we worship, we gather, we sing, we pray, we Lord's Supper, we baptize. And so it's a a communal setting that all of this stuff about the superiority of Christ, all of this stuff about him being better, better priest, better prophet, better sacrifice, better covenant, better law, all of that stuff now gets feet on it when we go, okay, we draw near. We talk about this stuff. We hold fast to that confession. We may not understand it all, but I, I still turn on the headlights and get on the interstate. I don't get it all. I'm not sure the science of it. I'm not sure all the the explanations. I'm not sure that all my questions are going to get answered. But I'm still going to get in the car and drive it down the road by faith. Then he does something interesting. He's such a preacher. He gets an idea for an illustration. And so he abandons his whole train of thought in order to chase this Story. If you look at the very end of chapter 10, verse 39, and the very beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, it's a continuation. It's like that's that's where the story is it should go there. So it, it should go directly from the end of this, don't throw away your confidence. Yet a little while, the coming one will come, but my righteous one will live by faith. And he jerks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. The very last verse, we're not destroyed. And then if you go straight over to chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it makes sense. But he had an idea. He says, I'm going to tell you a story about some people who lived by faith. And so we have this magnificent chapter tucked in the middle of these, this train of thought that we call the hall of faith or, or whatever. In chapter 11, he begins to break open people who have actually lived by faith, people who, who didn't see what the reward was, who didn't see the end game, who, who understood they weren't going to see all the way down the highway. And he says, let me tell you some stories about those people. But first, I'm going to tell you why this faith thing is a big deal. And it's a back to the future moment. He starts off chapter 11. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. I was going to show you a a movie this morning, and I know that you're disappointed because I didn't. You really liked the uh, game show last week Uh, because I I was sort of got caught up in in an old Star Trek movie, actually the first and the second set when James T. Kirk was a young guy in the cadet training or whatever, and then all of a sudden at the very end of the movie they're fighting the Romulans or whatever. Well, there was a scene in that movie that I would like to show you, but I would have to show you most of the movie in order for it to make any sense. But it kind of goes like this. James T. Kirk had been visited by Spock, old Spock, who was in the future. Okay, so future Spock visits him, tells him he has to make friends with present day Spock in order to achieve their destiny or whatever. And so there comes this moment when present-day Spock is about to embark on some kind of a dangerous mission in a spacecraft that he would never flown before. And he says, if I don't see again, and Kirk stops him and says, it, it's going to work out. I, it's it's going to work out. And what all of us know, because we saw future Spock meet Kirk, not young Spock meet Kirk, and and we knew that he had been to the future and that he had met old Spock. And if there was such a thing as old Spock, then this guy was probably going to survive whatever it was he was about to do. Been to the future. Marty McFly knows how to play Johnny Be Good because he's been to the future. And the language here says, listen, I've seen it. I've been there. I know how it turns out. And so it's going to be good. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. They're in the future. It's a, it's a fact in the future. Spock, as he got into the spacecraft, he uh, Kirk says, do you know how to fly this thing? And he says, according to you, I already have. <laughs> And he's this, I've been to the future. I know what the future holds. It's a fact. It's not, it's not subjection. And then he starts giving an illustration with names. He names Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Abraham again, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses again. And he goes through all of these things. Then he said, listen, they didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but they trusted. And in verse 6, he sort of summarizes, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. It went, on your own, you really ought to go back and look up all these stories because they're phenomenal. Noah built an ark when it was a drought. Abraham was like 99 and believed that he was going to be a father of a child. Sarah was 90-something and had a baby. Uh, Enoch never died. He, it says that he walked with God and disappeared. Uh, Moses was a, uh, the guy that, that started the whole Exodus thing and caused untold suffering when, when the people of Israel had to, had to leave. So all of these things had faith stories, but here's where it got tricky to me. Down in verse 31, next to the last verse, before it really got interesting. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. That's what it says. So a prostitute is figured prominently in the faith story that the writer of Hebrews is starting to unfold. And then it gets better. Verse 32 is sort of the speed bump for me. I'm reading along going, yeah, Noah, yeah, he got drunk, but he's still a faith guy. Uh, Abraham, yeah, he kind of lied about his wife, but he still had faith. And then I got down to verse 32. It says, time would fail me if I didn't talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And I kind of had a red alert. You know, that deal where it's warning real Robinson going on in your head, and you go, what is up with this? Because Gideon was the guy that said, God, I'm going to believe you if I can put some wool outside and it'll be wet. Okay, it was wet. He said, God, it's easy for it to be wet, condensation and all that. I'm going to put it out again and I want it to be dry. God says, make up your mind. He didn't. It was dry. Wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. And and I'm going, that's faith? That's like, prove it, God, prove it. And then I go, well, okay, well, what about the next one there? Barak, okay, he was a famous commander who was a general in the army, and his famous statement of faith was to say to the woman who was the judge at the time, Deborah, I'll go if you'll go. Oh, onward to battle, but only if you go with me. That's faith, right? Okay, wait a minute. What about Samson? Okay, I can't remember anything faithful he did. Really, seriously, you look in Judges 12, 13, 14, nothing he did, everything he did was to serve his own pleasure, to serve his own self-interest, and yet he's listed as a man of faith. Jephthah, he's the guy that was in the middle of a battle and he made his foolish vow to the Lord, if you'll only let me win this battle, I'll sacrifice the first thing I see coming out of the house when I get home, is his daughter. And he didn't kill her. He, 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 he sacrificed her to perpetual service in the uh, temple. She would never be married. She would never have children. It, it, all these goofy people, David, most famous adulterer in the world. Samuel, his kids were off the rails. And it occurred to me that as I was reading this, God was saying, Hey, Alan, do you get it yet? It's not about you. Faith is not about you. It's not faith in me. It's faith in God. It's faith that God will take flawed, broken individuals. Noah with his drunkenness. Abraham with his deceit. Isaac, Jacob with his trickery. Rahab the prostitute. Samson, Barak. Jephthah, Gideon, you, me, we're all flawed. And God says, the thing is faith. The thing is is to to have confidence in this whole story. I've I've taken nine chapters, nine and a half chapters to lay it out for you. Jesus is better. So why are you still trusting in yourself? And so I'm going to give you a story of a bunch of people that you're going, these people were just broken. Oh, yeah, it's like us. They're broken. God spoke to them. God had a task for them that sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. They failed. God spoke to them. God used them. We remember them. Because it's not about us. It's about him. And that's the story of Hebrews. And, and now he's, he's talking about the, the promises that will come, the faith that we can have. He says, I've been to the future. You and I have the last book of the Bible. We know how it ends. But the writer of Hebrews says, Listen, on the basis of all of this stuff, I've been to the future, and you can play Johnny Be Good. You can have faith. Because it's not just a pipe dream. It's not a guess. It's not speculation. It's not try to figure out the lottery numbers. It's a fact. This has already been settled. In the mind and heart of God, it is settled. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but it's the conviction, it's the evidence of things you can't even see yet. You've heard that 285 is complete, so you can hurtle down the road at 75 miles an hour with your headlights on, because somebody else has paved the way. He says, walk by faith, live by faith, come to Him by faith. This week in um, my utmost for His highest devotion that I'm reading this year, 19th In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples went to sleep when they should have stayed awake. And once they realized what they'd done, it produced despair. The sense of having done something irreversible tends to make us despair. They got woke up and they said, Well, it's over and ruined now. What's the point in trying anymore? Chambers says, If we think this kind of despair is an exception, we're mistaken. It's ordinary. It's all of us. But Jesus comes lovingly and says to us, sleep on now. That opportunity is lost forever. But let's go on to the next thing. In other words, let the past sleep, but let it sleep in the sweet embrace of Christ. And let us go on to the invincible future with Him. There was an interview of one of those students in the Asbury revival that's still going on. And he said, it's different because it's only about Jesus. It's not about who's singing or who's speaking or, or video or production There's nothing going on. The lights are on in this chapel. There's nothing going on in the stage. It's spilled over into multiple venues on the campus in Wilmore, multiple campuses. People all over the world are coming. What's the difference? It's all about Jesus. And for nine and a half chapters, the writer said, do you get it? It's all about Jesus. And you can have faith in that even though you can't see how it's going to end, even though you don't know the heartaches that you're going to endure, even though you, you, you're hurting from something else that has happened, it's all about Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, there are people here who are struggling, people here who are trying to figure out if this Challenge that they're hearing here and other places, whatever you're doing, start in their hearts trying to figure out if it's worth it. They have something that's comfortable that they're hanging on to, and, and yet you're challenging to something else. Lord, I pray that this would be the day. And if that's you, don't leave it alone. If he's challenging you to come to him by faith, to walk by faith, to live by faith, settle it. Go to find somebody in the information, the connection corner out there, somebody in a green shirt, somebody with a name tag, one of the pastors, somebody else. Just grab somebody and say, tell me what it is to walk by faith. Maybe you say to God, God, I need you. Thank you for this story of sacrifice. You died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. Would you come into my life? Let me learn to walk with you, live with you, follow you. Let me me learn to walk by faith. If that's a prayer that you might pray, then, then don't pray it alone. See one of us. See somebody out there and say, I need to start this journey. Maybe you've come in here and your faith is tired. You've just been hurt a lot. And you need to figure out how to let your faith live again well the challenge is to pray with somebody to not leave this place before you have left whatever it is you brought in, the anxiety the fear, the uncertainty about jobs, the the hurt over relationships the addictions, the oppression, whatever it is at least speak that to God he sang the song, I will call upon the Lord for he alone when we call somebody's name, we ask for their presence. When a child says "Daddy," it's not just to say the name; it's so that Daddy will be with them. When we call upon His name, it's it's to invoke His presence; it's to ask Him to be here. So, as we sing, as we close, do business with God. Confess. Cry out. Sing the songs, say the words, pray the prayers, talk to somebody. For it is by faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of what we cannot see. Father, hear our prayers, receive our worship. Thank you for our community in Jesus' name.